another episode of the More Than A Game podcast. Thank you for joining us. It's great to have you with us. My name is Dan Walls and I'm just a guy who loves basketball, loves the sport. And my aim with this podcast is to interview uh, people involved with the sport of basketball in Australia to hear their stories and out of those stories, uh, maybe grab onto some key nuggets of truth and, and, um, and life lessons that we can take into our lives and learn and as we hear and listen to their stories as well. Today on the podcast, we're going to be talking leadership. We're going to be talking Michael Jordan, LeBron James. Uh, we're going to be talking about Australian basketball and uh, the, the state of the game. And with me today to do that is a three-time NBL champion, a man who's captain the Sydney Kings, he captained his country, he played for the Australian Boomers at two Olympics. And I'm talking of none other than Jason Smith. Uh, Jason, welcome to the More and the Game podcast. Thanks for joining us, mate. Absolute pleasure and good to reconnect, Dan. Yeah, absolutely, mate. Great to see you. Well, first up, uh, you've been retired now for two, oh, 11 years, 2009, you retired. Uh, what have you been up to since uh, you've retired? And it seems like it was about 40 years ago. But um, <laughs> uh, look, you know, I've got, uh, you know, I had two young kids when I retired. So um, uh, life kind of revolved around them and, and then seeking employment and, you know, in the next stage of life. Uh, moved to Melbourne. Um, I'm from Melbourne originally. Uh, my father um, was quite ill, so we decided to, um, to to move to get a little bit closer to him and help out help out there with family. So, um, so um, my wife Carla and and the kids packed up Sydney and, and moved to Melbourne um, mm-hmm. to start a fresh down here. And yeah, it's, uh, mate, it's, it seems like it was literally yesterday, and it was like ten years ago. So yeah, I'm pretty quick. Yeah, what are you doing for work these days? Uh, well, I was in banking um, uh, when I retired, so I moved straight into um, uh, um, yeah, full-time work with Macquarie Bank, and mm. then um, I was there for about a year. And then um, <laughs> uh, I think uh, um, GFC uh, yeah. happened. Like, yeah, so um, I kept my kept my role there, but they they let go about uh, two thousand staff. Oh yeah, um, and so I just kind of realised it wasn't an organisation I really wanted to work for to be honest yeah, sure. so then um i got a call to move across to commonwealth bank and, mm. and just moved my way um through commonwealth bank for the next like nine ten years and became an executive manager in their commercial bank down in melbourne yeah uh, managing a pretty significant portfolio and um that was a couple of years ago and i moved uh, uh i left the bank and started with a software company called domo and i knew, mm. I knew nothing about software yeah. but um they needed um uh, someone to to assist, uh, I guess, um, their go-to-market strategy and and um, yeah, my business knowledge uh, helped me help me secure a role with them. So I've been in with them ever since. So yeah, uh, data and analytics. So yeah, it's unusual space to be in, but um, yeah, I'm loving it. Yeah, that's great to hear, mate. The reason I ask you though is just um, touching on retirement. Um, like I met you when I was, I think I was 16 years of age, so I was pretty young. I was the up-and-coming basketballer. I wanted to. You look exactly the same, by the way. Thanks, mate. I appreciate that. (laughs) As do you. We haven't changed much. (laughs) Um, Yeah, but I remember coming through, playing basketball myself, wanted to make it. But hearing your story, um, your amount of faith from the outset, we'll speak about that later on. But um, looking at you and how you had a purpose outside of basketball, it really gave me an understanding that, uh, well, uh, it showed me the importance of having a purpose outside of your career or 
or basketball or whatever you're sort of sowing your life into, whether that be fatherhood or um, being a good husband, whatever the case may be. Um, you see players these days really struggle um, to or struggle with retirement. You know, as soon as they hit retirement, their you know their lives go downhill a little bit. How important is it to have that sense of purpose outside of your basketball career, sporting career, or career in general? Mm. Yeah, good question. Look, for me, you know, I, I had a five-year plan uh, when I turned thirty. I knew I was probably at the precipice uh, or height of my career. Mm. And that things would start to, to um, you know, go downhill from there, just from a physical point of view. Mm. Um, and so I, I worked out a bit of a, you know, bit of a plan around educating myself, gaining some experience mm. and some exposure um, mm. into the environment I, I potentially saw a career in. So, mm. so I started reaching out, um, and I was lucky, you know, when you're in that current environment, you know, playing for the Kings, you know, you can get the attention of pretty much anyone, which was, which was really beneficial. So I, I lent into relationships and opened some doors into conversations that allowed me to get some um, uh, uh, exposure and, and experience within some corporate organisations. Mm. So I, I worked part-time um, for the last like, five years of my career. Mm. Um, so right. one, day, one day a week during the season, um, which was my recovery day. So I negotiated with the with the club and the coach and said, you know, I'll, you've got to trust me to do the right things from from my body. Mm. I'll do the recovery by myself, but I need this time to start building some some uh, uh, business assets that I can utilise when I retire. Yeah. Um, and then I went back to uni and um, did my masters at, at Sydney. And um, uh, so, yeah, when I retired, I was I was equipped to move into the next stage mm. a hell of a lot easier. Than what you would see, a lot of a lot of guys don't have that um, yeah. uh, that skill set, so it becomes really really difficult. Mm. You've got to start somewhere from the bent, you know, the bottom up. Yeah. Or at least I had some skills and um, education to to facilitate moving into mid mid level, mm. um, and and um, yeah, not starting from you know really really low salary and you know just not really not really enjoying it. I, I was challenged immediately. I'm supported as well within the organisations that I worked for, mm. um, and I quickly, quickly navigated my way through. But um, in saying that, um, you know, my faith played a huge part in that too. Mm. Understanding that, you know, the seasons in life, and you know, this was coming to a close, mm. and a new one was opening, and and I was excited for that. Mm. Um, but I still, you know, so I did all the preparation that I could five years. Mm. Um, I had a faith background that really supported me go through that process as well, but I still think I had probably two or three years of depression. Yeah. Um, yeah. As soon as it, as soon as I transitioned across, and mm. you know, just missing that, I guess that uh, camaraderie, um, the closeness of building the teams, having a you know team orientation, goal orientation environment, um, is, was very different than what I found in um, in corporate life. So. Um, yeah, it was it was it was it was hard. Yeah. It was really hard. But um, yeah, I'd hate to think how people experience that without you know a faith background to mm. support you through that. But also you know the the, the the five years of work that I did previously to to prepare me for it. So sure. yeah, but um yeah, look, it's it's I mean for me and you'll find most athletes is that that you know they're incredibly um uh, uh, um competitive mm. and you know they're up for the challenge 
Mm. and they need to be motivated and if they can find an environment where that it can provide those elements then they'll typically flourish but if those elements aren't provided then i can understand why there's a spiral and it's in, and it's typically in the wrong direction yeah absolutely um so important to have that sense of structure too i guess and something you touched on there was our team environment having those disciplines you're coming into just about every day training game situation that sort of thing i was going to ask you this later on but i'll come to it now you no doubt would have uh watched the last dance uh the jo- uh, Bulls mm-hmm. documentary i just want to touch on um something that michael jordan speaks about in terms of leadership because i know, you know you're a captain with the Sydney kings and um a leader within your own right uh but this is what he says in the last dance um and i'm referring to this in terms of transferable skills from your career into your workplace now into everyday life mm-hmm. it says leadership has a price so I pulled people along when they didn't want to be pulled. I challenged people when they didn't want to be challenged. I earned that right because my teammates came after me. They hadn't done all the things that I had to endure. I needed the team to play to the standard I play the game, and I wasn't going to take anything less. Now, if that meant I had to go and get up someone a little bit, then I did that. He obviously used more flowery, colourful language than that. But he says, one thing you will hear from my teammates is that he, I never... Uh, that Michael Jordan, referring to himself, never asked me to do something that I didn't go and do myself. My question around that is, does that kind of leadership resonate with you? We all know what a great player he was, and I didn't really understand more. We obviously got a picture or an understanding more of his personality and what he was like on the court through that documentary. But um, can you relate to that sort of sense of leadership, or is leadership broader than that? Or is it is it something bigger than that that Michael Jordan refers to there? No, uh, I think... I think it's pretty accurate in his reflection, and and I was fortunate enough to to play alongside Luke Longley. So mm. I remember asking him, you know, intimately around his experiences with with MJ, and and um, particularly around his you know, uh, leadership um, capabilities and and what he would lean into mm. um, to try and draw the best out of his players. But yeah, I mean, I, I was a little bit different. Um, I wasn't a great player initially, so I had to work really hard. Um, in order to to become um, well solidified in a, in the team and, and respected on the on the team, and that that was a, probably a seven year journey as a pro. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you know things started to shift for me. But um, so you know I, I totally relate to to what what he's saying in that because you know the, the, my competitive nature on the court too. So I would I would get up guys if I didn't feel that they were bringing their A game every single day. I used to love training every day. I loved the training. Mm. Um, I loved competing and I loved mm. competing at a high level. So when I saw guys that weren't um, uh, participating at the, the expectation, mm. then um, I felt it was my obligation to ensure that everyone trains at a certain certain um, uh, standard because mm. we're all trying to get better. And if we're, if we're training at 80% capacity, then that's the way we're going to always be. But if we're training and bordering on our, on our best every single day, then our best gets higher and higher and higher. Mm. And our ceiling becomes higher and higher and higher as well. Mm. So yeah, I mean, I've, I've you know the amount of fights that I've had, um, <laughs> and and not that I'm not that I'm saying that I'm proud of that, but just because mm. you know you're competitive, and you challenge guys, and it gets physical. And so when you tell that story about you know, fighting with Steve Kerr, mm. you know I've got I've got fifty of those, and I'm sure oh, Michael yeah. and you know like, but those guys, I love those guys. You know, mm. you walk off in your arm in arm, and mm. you know they, you call them up, and you know it's like it was yesterday that we were competing against each other, and but there's a there's a there's a respect for each other um, that you're able to achieve things that other teams didn't achieve. 
mm. first team to three P, and that's not easy. That's extremely mm. difficult. Yeah, um, and we we're able to do that because we had a, a like-mindedness and a, um, a determination that could, mm. um, you know, help us get across the line. So yeah, I mean, I, yeah. So I'm, I'm hoping that answered answered the question. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I, I admired him for for what he said because I could I could relate exactly to it, to how he um, articulated it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, my sense is that that sort of leisure doesn't translate into everyday life in a corporate career. So it's, it's, it's more of a team. Like everyone's on the same page. Like they, you know, they're striving for the championship. Whereas in, in corporate life or everyday life, I think that you have to learn different traits. I mean, you're a leader, I guess, in your career now and leading teams of people. Um, yeah, is a, is the leadership skills and qualities different in each area of area of life? Without a doubt. Yeah. So um, the biggest difference about sport compared to corporate life that I found is that your performance in sport is completely transparent. Mm. Everyone can see if you're performing or not, and mm. at at what capability are you performing at? Mm. Right, so and everyone can see it, and they, and and it's measurable, right? So we're in corporate life. Um, a lot of it's you know, behind the scenes. You don't have direct visibility into what everyone's doing. Um, you know, um, measurability of their performance. Um, you know, the the strength of their relationships, that sort of thing. So that that's quite hard to to facilitate. Um, so in in corporate life. The, the effectiveness of, of quality communication and relationship is so important mm. because again you can't you can't visibly see all the time how people are performing um, and in sport now you're practicing for one performance mm. whereas in in corporate well you're performing every single day mm. so it's 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 you know it's got that contrast as well so mm. yeah, but I found I found the effective communicators um, uh, and some people might think that they're effective communicators, but they're not. Yeah. You know, it's, it's it's a really really fine skill, and it takes I think you know long um, a long amount of time and a lot of experience to deliver that um, to deliver it well to get people to follow you and then to buy into um, the purpose um, and that motivation so that so that they're applying their own discipline in order to um, achieve the particular outcome. Yeah, for sure. No, that's great, mate. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I spoke to Joe Fangroni and he also mentioned the importance of having that clear sense of vision and purpose, which I think is tied to what you're saying in terms of communicating that and mm. um, yeah, everyone working together. Uh, you mentioned Luke Longley as well. Um, one more questions for you was obviously in feature in the Last Dance documentary, but um, for me, just a real humble guy and, and um, yeah, um, I mean... Or past him at the Kings game, and you know he's always willing to say hey, hello and, and that sort of thing. What what kind of guy is he like? Um, and what was he like to play with? I know you played with him in the 2000 Olympic Games as well. Yeah, he was. I loved playing with him. Mm. Um, you know, I, I was a uh, role player on on the team that I um, participated in with him. Mm. But um, he was always super generous with his time and resources mm. um, to support um, the benefit of the team. Mm. Um, you know, I've got a number of you know fond memories of of him. You know, with his arm around me, telling me you know just some some tidbits of advice. Mm. Um, you know, I remember the first training session. He told me, "Man, if you're driving through the key and I'm in the way, just put your knee in the middle of my chest and use me as a catapult." <laughs> you know, 
He goes, really? and he's like, you know, Mike yeah. and Scotty do that all the time. So wow. you're a bit bouncy. Why don't you, why don't you do the same thing? Yeah, it's great. So, you know, I mean, that's that's an unusual sort of request, right? Yeah. From, <laughs> from a guy so on your team. But um, yeah. I mean, that's a level of human being he is. He's just a mm. fantastic fella. Mm. Um, and, you know, everyone asks me, oh, do you think he's really upset? I go, yeah, he wouldn't be upset about not mm. being, you know, involved that heavily in the in the last dance. He's not yeah. that kind of guy. He's not going to. Yeah. You know, hold a grudge, and um, right. he knows he knows how important he was through that time, and and how he contributed to their success. So, yeah, that's all he needs to to, to satisfy his own desire. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, just going back to the Olympics, um, we'll dive into a bit of basketball now. Um, for me, that was one of the greatest Australian teams ever assembled. I know they talk about the NBA guys now, but. Like you had Longley just coming off the back of that Bulls run. Um, Andrew Gaze just played in the NBA. Shane Hill just played in the NBA. I reckon yeah, that team was at its peak of its powers pretty much at that time. Um, proven success across the board there. Um, you were a young guy on that team. Um, yeah, what was that experience like, first of all, your first Olympics, but playing in Sydney, um, your home, well, not your home city, but in your home country. Um, mm. That must have been a phenomenal highlight and experience in your career. Yeah, I, first off, it was I, I couldn't believe I was selected on the team. To be honest, um, looking back now, I know I know how and why I made it. Mm. But um, at the time, I was I was a bit shocked. To be honest, um, you know, I thought they were going to go a different a different way mm. with, with some some guys that already kind of solidified or, or um, you know made their um, you know, their position on the team fairly secure. Mm. Um, but I was thankful that Barry Barnes selected me to to fill one of those those roster spots, that, mm. those coveted spots. But um, I remember leading up to it, I, I worked my absolute butt off to make sure that I was the the the, the best athlete on the team. Mm. Um, so that's not the highest jumper, but all the physical testing stuff I dominated. So mm. leading up into the into the selection of the team, you know, there's three or four camps and you know selection criteria that you had to you had to meet, mm. and a lot of the physical testing, I I killed it. So I made sure that I did all this preparation, you know, prior to that to, to make sure that I would stand out physically. Right. Um, so that there wouldn't be any 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 um choice, I guess, that mm. you got Andrew Gaze, you know, playing the two spot if and I knew that's where I was going to be playing behind. What mm. did I offer? What did I offer different? What was my differentiation um that I could add value to the team? Mm. And for me it was you know defense and athleticism. So Andrew wasn't a great defender, fantastic scorer, good leader, mm. um, could run the play, but they, they were missing a defending a defensive stopper on the wing mm. and some athleticism in that position. So I knew I had to showcase that in order to to being considered for the role. Yeah, sure. And then and then when I was selected, um, um, you know, it's pretty you know pretty tough uh, process to go through. Selected, I was amazed, you know, that I was going to be representing my country. Yeah. Um, and then going to, to Sydney, you know, it was just, I've never seen such national pride everywhere, yeah. everywhere we went. Yeah. If, you're wearing, if you're wearing the green and gold, people are just coming up to you, talking to you, you know, just patting you on the back everywhere. Um, I've never seen anything like it mm. and never experienced anything like it ever again in my life. Mm. Um, mm. So yeah, it was, it was incredibly um, uh, proud moment. Mm. Um, and, you know, to be amongst those guys, you know, you had Shane Hill, Andrew Gaze, Luke Longley, who mm. played in the NBA, but you had Mark Brackey played in the NBA. Yeah, that's right. Um, Paul Rogers had just played in the NBA. Mm. Um, uh, Chris Anstey just played yeah. in the NBA. I mean, 
you know, you got Sam McKinnon, probably the the one Australian guy that I can't believe never played at that level. Um, yeah. he's probably you know, better than better than most of us. Yeah. Um, and Vlahov, you know, it was Ricky Grace. Ricky Grace, you know, so <laughs> yeah. the, the, the loaded. Team, it was just it just keeps going on. So yeah. so like you said, it was a fantastic team, with so much skill. So to to finish fourth was was actually a bit upsetting because mm-hmm. we we knew that we had a really quality squad mm. that we could make a, a a real crack at it. But at that at that time of you know um, basketball, you know these European powerhouses were just insane and in how good yeah. they were too. So you look at our how good our team was, but then you look at Russia and you know um, Yugoslavia. Yeah, Spain, Italy, you know, uh, Lithuania. It was nuts. And France, mm-hmm. you know, those they were stacked. Yeah, I mean, we had a really good squad, but so did they. It was it was in comparison to where the world was going in in mm. um, in how good the standard was. But uh, mm. yeah, look, it was something I'll, I'll never forget. It was a it was a great environment to yeah. be around. You know, playing in those stadiums was was insane, mm. and, and playing against the, the quality opposition, you know, really cemented my understanding that actually I'm. I'm pretty good, you know, mm. on the world scale, I'm, I'm, I'm right there. So yeah, it's great. Yeah. It's good for my confidence as well. Yeah. No doubt. Been a great experience. Um, you mentioned Europe. You had a, for a couple of seasons in Europe and Italy, I believe, and gave it a good crack. Um, I was just prior to having a number of seasons in the NBL before that opportunity. Um, yeah. What was that experience like going over to Europe and Italy and, and uh, yeah, playing a couple of seasons over there? Yeah. Well, the, Funny because I was playing for the Melbourne team at the time, and and they actually went um, uh, into voluntary administration. They never recovered, mm. so I didn't have a contract. So it just happened that I didn't have a contract. So I was just seeking other opportunities, and then this my agent um, it was always something I wanted to pursue. Mm. And my agent came through with an opportunity, so I just I just jumped at it. Mm. Um, so my wife and I, and we just had my my son. He was he wasn't even one yet, and uh, we went over there and we loved it. Mm. Um, so the, the lifestyle was fantastic. Um, the basketball was incredibly hard. Mm. Um, so we trained every day, twice a day, mm. and it wasn't, you know, just go around and you know, shoot, shoot, shoot the ball around a little bit. It was super hard training right. you know, mm. in the morning and then, you know, siesta and then come back and train super hard again. Mm. Um, and then, um, so it was the first team that I played for. The second team I played for, we were in EuroLeague. Mm. So, you know, you're playing in the Italian Cup, um, Adriatic League and Euro League. So you're playing every second or third day and you're travelling, you know, to different country wow. uh, all the time. So it became you know, really hard on my, my wife. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was great for me because we didn't train as much, but we're playing all the time, but I'm, but I'm, I'm never at home. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so yeah, and you end up playing like an NBA schedule. You end up playing 90 games. or I think we played 86 games that year. Wow. That's crazy. So, yeah, yeah, it was it was nuts, and it was the lightest I've ever been. You just you, you just couldn't put on weight. Yeah, you know, because you're just burning so many calories and traveling mm. so much, it becomes pretty difficult. But mm. but we we loved it. Um, the experience was fantastic. Mm. Um, and I was fortunate to go back again. Went to Croatia in 2005 mm. after we won the, the third championship. Mm. Um, we got an offer to to um, go to Croatia. Really good deal. So it was Sibona, uh, uh, big club. Um, mm. EuroLeague mm. as well, and, and uh, you participated with them uh, that season. It was yeah, a lot of fun. Yeah, no doubt. You mentioned the, the Kings there. Um, you three P. You came back from Europe. You signed with the Sydney Kings. Um, yeah, no doubt. One of the highlights of your career as well. Just that period of time. You actually followed Brian Gorge in there. Um, I know he 
he gave you your first crack back at South Melbourne, is that correct? To, in the NBL? Do you want to talk a bit about that? Yeah, I was, I was at college uh, in the US and um, I trained with the, the Melbourne Magic um, as, a, as a junior, like in mm-hmm. end, end of high school. I was playing um, like second, second tier. So I think it was Siebel or CBA mm-hmm. um, back then. And uh, so we used to train and just do warm-ups with them. Mm. And then if there were, if he if he wanted some numbers, um, he would get some of the Siebel guys to jump in and, and help out at training. And mm. um, and so when it, you know I was seventeen or eighteen sort of thing, and I was starting to progress and become a little bit more athletic and probably uh, could compete at a high level athletically with the NBL guys. Mm. Um, then then a few of the Siebel Siebel guys. So he uh, he invited my brother and I to to train a, a little bit with them. Mm. Um, so when I went to college, he already had an understanding of some of my capabilities and um, I think he had an admiration for what I could potentially bring to the table. Mm. So when I, um, at the end of my college career, um, I ended up signing a three-year deal with the, the Magic mm. um, and played then. And then, um, yeah, with Sydney, I was playing in Italy and mm. he said to me, oh, Matt, I haven't seen you for a while. You know, I'm the coach of the Boomers. Um, <laughs> if you want to you think about making the next Olympic team. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna to have to get a closer look at you. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we were actually ready to go. My wife was pregnant with the um, second child, so we were, we were actually ready to come to come back. So, so mm. we made the decision to to come and join Sydney, and it was good timing. I mean, they just won a championship um, mm. uh, with with Shane and, and Matt Nielsen primarily yeah. there, and mm. Shane, Shane had moved on, so they were looking for um, that next piece of the puzzle, mm. I guess, to to support that. Um, uh, the longevity of, of success there. Yeah. yeah. I was talking to Bill Thompson um, recently about it and he said, well, I made the point that you lose Shane Hill, um, Kavosi Franklin, Chris Williams, but then you pick up yourself, CJ Bruton, Ebiara, like it was just amazing crossover of talent. Um, yeah. But you actually got injured that year from memory. It was a season ending injury. Um, how tough was that to miss out on that first championship, which would have been with the Kings? You won one with the Victoria Titans, obviously, but or mm. South East Melbourne Magic, but yeah, what was it like missing out that year on that second championship? Yeah, devastating. Mm. You know, I got myself into you know, really good shape. Mm. Um, you know, in, in Italy, you know, there's not a whole lot of um, uh, care about the individual, the mm. athletes. So they don't put a whole lot of emphasis on you know your body and, and ensuring that you're at peak, phys- peak physical performance. Mm. If you burn out, you burn out. They just get someone else in. Mm. Um, so I put a lot of time in, in recovering, covering from that and building my body ready again for um, NBL season. And, mm. you know, I was in Melbourne playing against the Tigers and I dislocated my kneecap and um, it, um, it just tore, tore a little bit of the tissue around there as well and, and knocked some bone off the joint. So I had the surgery and it was, I was done uh, for the season. So, mm. um, you know, I'd, I'd, fortunately or unfortunately, I'd, I'd ruptured my other patella tendon um, I can't remember what year it was. I think it was 2000 or 2001 mm. um, after the Olympics. And um, so I kind of knew what to anticipate mm. uh, from a knee injury. Um, but I was kind of glad it wasn't as bad as the previous <laughs> previous yeah. one. Wow. So it only, it only kept me out for a few months, but unfortunately it kept me out for the, yeah. for the finals campaign. But um, I was happy for the guys, but I was still pretty pissed off that I couldn't contribute to it. Yeah. So, yeah. Absolutely. It would have been hard. Mm. No, built, no doubt built some resilience in you. But, um, yeah, obviously you went on to win that third championship. 
uh, grand final MVP, if you don't mind. So that's a pretty good achievement there. Um, but just reflecting on that, that time with the Kings and you had some success um, making the semifinals, um, just missed out 07 08 on the championship as well, um, losing to the Tigers. But just give us some insight into Brian Gorgian as a coach because obviously he was at the, the forefront of it all. Great coach, great guy. Um, you know him well from your time. He gave you your time down in Melbourne. He gave you um, your first crack at NBL basketball. Um, yeah, what makes him such a great coach? And yeah, um, how come he stands out from the rest? Um, there's probably a few facets. So the first is he's the best communicator I've ever been around. Mm. Um, so he's able to clearly articulate um, sense of mission purpose and then your what's required out of your individual mm. contribution mm. um so yeah he's able to channel channel that all those dimensions mm. and clearly communicate it in a broad sense but also to the individual um which is important obviously in a team environment mm. um so there's that aspect um second is he's got an eye for talent mm. um so he can he can pick these guys that are kind of rough diamonds washes them up over time and, and is, is able to get the best out of them. Um, and for me, I thought my ceiling was probably two or three steps or rungs lower than what I ever achieved. But um, oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he was able to see, you know, through some of the inabilities or, or skill gaps mm. and, and build on those and design, you know, some, um, uh, uh, you know, years. We're talking about years of, of training in order to to build on those skill gaps and 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 even it out and then build a um, a pretty good basketballer off the back of that. So and he's done that. You know, he did that time and time again. Mm. You know, Sam, Chris, myself, Drimmick. Yeah. You know, there's there's a number of guys that have gone through Andrew Parkinson, Tony Ronaldson. You know, there's there's a heap of them. Mm. Um, and then the the third aspect is he makes it fun. Mm. You know, he he joked around a lot. Um, he was a player, so he kind of understood the demands of of what the requirements were on a day to day basis. So, so going to training every day was fun. You know, mm. he made it he made it competitive, and you know, he'd joke around, and you know, we you know, be cacking up at him. He'd make a fool of himself, you know, quite quite regularly. He's pretty mm. vulnerable like that. So, yeah, um, and he's you know quite open. Um, but yeah, and, and he was always um, always teaching himself. He's always learning. He's always picking you know, um, best practice from all over the globe, different sports mm. and introducing them and, and trialing stuff with us. And um, yeah, got no doubt that's why he was, you know, super successful and that's why mm. I love him. You know, he's a, yeah. you know, he was like a father, second father figure to me. Mm. Oh, that's great, mate. Um, yeah, you, you mentioned father figures. Um, one thing I appreciate about you when I, you know, grew up looking up to you in many ways was you surrounded people, surrounded yourself with, you know, wise heads, you know, yeah, Brian Gorgian there, Gary Speckman, the chaplain. Um, there was many people that you had. You know, how important is that to have those sort of voices um, near you that you can draw on, but also sort of tell you sometimes you need to be told what you don't like to hear. Uh, so how important is that? To, like, talking about mentors or um, whatever the case may be, how important is it to have those people in your life um, right there when you need them the, the most? Yeah, I think, I think it comes down to trust. Mm. and. Um, you know, I was fortunate enough that I, you know, could discern who I could trust within my circle. And if I, if I didn't have enough people in there, then I would invite someone into that proximity that I think could 
could be beneficial not only to me but that there was a mutual benefit there mm. um yeah and then um you know again i was fortunate that you know that brian well i, I felt at the time that he had a personal interest in me mm. um, outside of not only what i could do on the basketball court mm. and i think that's a really important lesson for coaches that want to get their best out of their players sure yeah um because i would go above and beyond what i was asked to do mm. um in training and diet and that sort of stuff mm. you know, so those intangibles that actually push you to the next the next level that um you know it's, it's going to be a conscious decision by the player mm. uh, to do that or not do that um and it's you know typically a trust uh, trust issue that I trusted him with my career. Mm. You know, I trusted him in, in the feedback he gave me, and sometimes I didn't like hearing what he had to say, but I trusted it. Mm. Um, and we would debate it and you know move on. Mm. Um, and then you know then there's you know the, the the player is only you know twenty percent of who you are. Mm. Yeah, that's what I did. Um, yeah, that was my job. And I go home and come with my family, mm. and you know I realised that I you know was a young man married a mm. uh, couple of couple of children um with you know on a, on a, on a you know got got some money uh, got some notoriety um and if you're not seeking counsel around that aspect of life mm. that, that can spiral out of control mm. so um so get some wise heads to contribute mm. uh, and invite them to contribute um into into your life for counsel and um and support Mm. Uh, I recognise was was equally important not only in the basketball side but also life outside of that. So that's why you, you know, I was always around a Gary Speckman or, or mm. I had a couple of other uh, mentors in my life mm. uh, that I would just bounce ideas off and um, yeah. and and converse with when uh, when required. Mm. That's great, mate. I know just to touch on that um, that opportunity you had with Gary to share your story after a game. Uh, again, I was a great experience for me just seeing you having the opportunity to share your faith and the purpose behind that was to share that aspect of hope that you have in your life and you're able to do it after a game with the you know all the fans hanging around um with another bunch of other athletes as well um, and what this what was that experience like and um how'd that come about well it came about so so first off it was uh, i was like shaking in my boots you know, I, was, I was i was really i was really scared yeah, I was, I was yeah. fearful, right? Yeah. Um, but um, it came about when so Gary and I had been doing some outreach stuff mm. um, in the community for a couple of years, mm. um, and then I was just challenging me like, no, let's do something different. Let's mm. do something on a bigger scale. So mm. with the really little ones, let's think about doing something on a bigger scale. Mm. So then he actually came and he said, "What about if we do this?" <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "Oh, I wasn't talking that big." <laughs> um, Anyway, so he, so we spoke about it. And I said, actually, actually, yeah, we could do this. We could pull it off. Mm. So we went to the club, and we went to the board, and we said, um, we want to do this. This is the project we want to work on. We, we want to hold a session with the with the, the crowd, mm. deliver my testimony before or after the game, potentially after the game. Mm. Um, but we know uh, what you're going to ask, and we think that we can reach. 100 churches mm. around Sydney and invite them to come to the game to buy a ticket mm. and come to the game and mm. invite a friend um, to come to the game. So there's mm. benefit for you for ticket sales and merchandise and mm. you know, 
uh, having people in the stands, mm. but then we want to um, open that up to an opportunity to to invite them to stay, mm. and then we would we would share after the game. So mm. so we so we actually thought a bit of like a business plan that we we mm. pitched to them, and, and they loved it. Right. They, they thought, yeah, they said they would endorse it because primarily they knew of my faith background yeah. and um, the position that it took in my life and yeah. they wanted to support that, but also they saw a business opportunity. Yeah. So it worked well with, with, with them. Um, so, yeah, on the, on the, so we worked with Bible Society to um, just work out how we could scale the event um, to support anyone that would require you know, any help. Yeah. Um, and then carry you know, what we were going to work on to, to position um, after the game. Mm. Um, and I remember actually, like the day of the game, um, or the day of the event, mm. like, we went to shoot around and I was all ready to go. Like I you know, rehearsed what I was going to do and whatever. Mm. I got home and I was so afraid. Yeah. Like yeah. I, was, I was almost overwhelmed that I was going to call Gary and say, man, I can't do it. Wow. You're going to have to step in and, and do this. Yeah. And then I remember, like, um, normally I would, like, eat, like, we'd go to shoot around. I'd eat lunch, come home, sleep, get up and go to the game run. Mm. I'd eat and I couldn't sleep because I was just so restless. Mm. Like, I was just, like, I'm, you know, really worried about this mm. and anxious about it. And then I remember watching a, um, a show on SBS or Channel 2 or something like that around jihadism, mm. right? And I just, it quickly just, just clicked to me that there's people out there willing to kill themselves and others for their beliefs mm. and faith mm. why am i worried about sharing mine that i did such a good yeah. story yeah you know and just 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 talking about it yeah. so that, that my mind just shifted and i got at ease about it mm. and then um went to the game we played and then uh, after the game so uh, we, i went into the rooms we won luckily and um went into the rooms and um so gorge was like you know um just talking about the team and and our performance and um and then he said all right guys um let's go and i was like what he goes oh we're we're supporting you wow so as i walked out i got the whole team behind me um and they sat they all sat behind me on the court um as i went up and um did my piece and mm. uh, did my testimony in altar call so mm. yeah i felt really really blessed and, and right. supported by my teammates who, and I mean, they all knew I was a Christian. I'd always invite them to pray and that sort of stuff. And, right. um, but, um, I don't know if any, any of them had heard my, my full testimony. Right. So, um, a couple of them had, but, but, uh, definitely not all of them. So it was just, yeah, it was a great experience and, uh, yeah, yeah something I'll, I'll, I'll always look fondly on. Yeah, no doubt, mate. Um, that was a great event. There's no doubt about that. Um, being there was a special thing, but one of the misconceptions about, I guess, Christian faith, or whatever, is that um, you know, when you become a Christian, you put your faith um, in the Christian faith, I guess, um, that everything's you know smooth sailing, everything's good. But that's you know, it can be further from the truth in terms of life. And um, mm-hmm. we've talked about the good times with the Kings, the championships, and all that, but there was also some tough times. And the first one of those um, was the demise of the Kings, and um, the um, the financial hardships that they went through. I know a lot of the players have said they can't, uh, they can't um, forgive um, particular people for that situation. Um, what was that situation like going through as a player, and um, how much did it affect you at the time? Uh, yeah, it was it was really hurtful. Um, you know, we 
we'd sacrificed a lot to move back to Sydney and, and um, be a part of the, the King's organisation. So I felt um, betrayed almost when um, when it went under. I thought it was really poorly managed, um, to be honest. Um, and being the, probably the focal point of the playing group, um, I felt an enormous responsibility to to um, uh, engage with administrators and um, all the other the key stakeholders to try and you know salvage what we could of the scenario and mm -hmm. to help navigate the best way through it on behalf of the playing group. So I kind of um, acted as that liaison between the playing group and mm -hmm. the administration um, and, and uh, legal stakeholders that were involved. Mm -hmm. So it was incredibly difficult, really taxing. Um, we were fortunate mm -hmm. that it was at the right time of the year where we could we could still finish out the uh, the season with the support of the NBL. So mm. I think the NBL did a pretty good job of um, of helping us through that through that that issue and that matter. But um, um, uh, yeah, I could go on for mm. a couple of a couple of hours about that. But um, yeah, yeah. you know, I think I think in sport in general, you know, particularly um, elite sport and professional sport, that's always a, a reality. Right, that um, you know, you're, you're dealing with ownership groups and um, sponsors and mm. you know, um, public. So there's always something that could could go wrong. Um, mm. Again, I mentioned about my um, uh, injury. So I, I've had, mm. I think, uh, eight or nine knee operations, shoulder reconstruction. Mm. You know, so at, at some point, whether it's going to be club going under, getting injured, missing out on a contract, being cut. Yeah. Uh, finishing your career at some point the sport's going to let you down yeah right at some point it's, it's inevitable it's going to happen mm. so are you equipped to deal with that mm. and you know my, my faith definitely helped me get through those scenarios mm. um and i educated myself through dealing with a few of them you know those those issues the down times mm. so when they did happen I didn't, it wasn't as i didn't drop as far Mm, mm. Just, just quickly recover and you, and you, you move on to the next the next step. Yeah. Um, and with the Kings, you know, dealing with that, I'd never been through that before and being in, you know, intimately involved in that process. Mm. Unfortunately, the club that I uh, finished up with the next year, exactly the same thing happened. They didn't know what to do. And I'd go, guys, I've been through this before. I know exactly what to do. I'll, I'll if, you're, if you're willing to trust me, I'll help navigate yeah. us through that. So mm. you know, I was really fortunate that I had been through it before yeah. because otherwise no one else would have known what to do so and yeah. we were able to finish the season again otherwise we would have been dead and you've got yeah. 12, 12 guys with no income and you know a huge impact on their families but we were able to, yeah. to to salvage the season and get through and and then the guys could you know get get uh, contracts from other clubs from there but yeah it was yeah. you know I look back on that and go there's a purpose for everything you know yeah, that's right there's a bit of learning um i'm not actually that bitter about it to be honest yeah. like you just, yeah. you just move on and yeah, life throws some curves, some curveballs at you sometimes, and you've yeah. got to deal with them as best you can, and mm. forget and, and move on. Yeah, that's that's yeah, it's phenomenal. I was going to ask you about the Sydney spirit and exact same experience um, there. Just before I touch on that a bit more, um, what people may have forgotten is that you actually signed with the South Dragons mm. in between that, but you didn't the, the contract didn't eventuate or whatever. You followed Gordon down there. For yeah. me, it's a you know talk about contrast. Here's then win the championship, you could have been, been a part of that. Um, but you went through that with the Sydney Spirit. Um, yeah, so what happened there where you couldn't sign with the South Dragons again? So at the end of the Kings year, so that was the start of 2008, mm. uh, so it was an Olympic year, mm. um, 
I dislocated my shoulder uh, in the semi-finals and then ultimately end up rupturing um, the ligament in my shoulder. Right. I was the tendon. Um, mm. And I, um, I didn't know it at the time. Mm. Um, and then uh, I'd signed with the Dragons and then my shoulder still wasn't coming good. Mm. So I got the scan and it showed the, the, um, the key issues. Mm. I needed surgery, so it would keep me out of the, um, out of the Olympics as well. Mm. Um, but as soon as I required surgery, I advised the Dragons and part of the requirement of the contract was they had to pass a physical. Mm. Um, and soon, so they um, uh, reneged on the, on the contract. Um, wow. and, and, uh, and rightly so, I wouldn't have expected them to, to proceed based on a, you know, an injured player. And it was, un- mm. I was unsure. The prognosis was unsure whether or not I would be able to, to participate in that, in that season. Mm. Whether or not it was going to be six months, 12 months, three months, you know, it was still a bit of a question mark around the, the time to recover. Mm. Um, I backed myself that, you know, I'd, I'd get back onto court that, that season. Mm. I, th- I think I did. It took me, you know, eight months, I think, recovery, full recovery from surgery, but it was only halfway through the season or maybe a third through the season and I, and I finished out the season with the, mm. with the Sydney team. But um, mm. uh, after that, I was... And then when the Sydney team went under, mm. I, I knew that, you know, the body was starting to, to break down more frequently, just had the mm. shoulder reconstruction, kept me out of the Olympics for my third. Yeah. Two, team, two teams in two years went under. Mm. Oh, mate, I just need to walk away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a tough shot, mate. Wow. Yeah. Tough yeah. two years. Yeah. Um, just quickly on Bevo, um, you had the opportunity to be coached by him at the Sydney Spirit. I had a chat with him a little while back and, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, got a lot of regard from him as a coach and as an individual, as a person. What was that experience like? Although the the uh, the team didn't go that great that year and the you know the situation that unfolded around you was tough. Um, still a great group of guys that you had there at the Spirit and, before that, the Razorbacks and yeah, what was that like? Um, yeah, being coached by Bevo and being in that environment. Yeah, I had I had a little bit to do with Bevo prior to that, but um, never to that extent. Mm. So I um, always admired him and for what he was doing um, in the fraternity, um, and you know his involvement with a lot of the younger guys that I'd had, um, experienced their time with on the on the Boomers that had mm. been coached by him. Spoke really highly of him. Mm. Um, so yeah, I was excited about um, you know joining forces with him. Um, and then when everything went pear-shaped, um, I saw his character come out in, you know, trying to 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 keep the momentum of the team. It's incredibly hard when there's no guarantee of, you know, um, salaries for these guys. Yeah, that's right. Um, and, they, and, and they all had the option to, to drop and go and get opportunities elsewhere. But, um, you know, his capability to, to keep that, that core group together and, and continue on really shone mm-hmm. through. And, Mm. Without, without his involvement, um, it it didn't ha- it doesn't happen. You know, mm. again, I kind of knew what to do with because I'd been there with the Kings. But if you don't have some, you know, if you don't have someone, you know, you know, shoulder and you know, and arm in arm, with, mm. with you, it, it just doesn't work. And, and mm. he shouldered so much of the weight to try and um, to get that through. And mm. So I've got, I've got a lot of respect for him, what he was able to do in that. And so, you know, I to be honest, the basketball side. Hmm. I would I wouldn't even you know it doesn't even come in into conversation when I talk about Bevo because hmm. it was more around who he was as an individual hmm. helping helping these young men hmm. navigate through this extremely difficult period um, and I knew it was the end of my career and I'd, I'd only you know I was only going to play half the year anyway hmm. Hmm. Um, so the basketball stuff is whatever but um, yeah. 
yeah, his personality and 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 um, trustworthiness um, and uh, a lot of respect for Bevo during that time. That's for sure. Yeah, definitely. Touched on the you know the, the, the club falling apart. One of the reasons it was able to get through the season was because of Andrew Bogut putting his own money into the organisation. Again, showing his passion for the sport as well. And um, I believe you ruined with Andrew at the 2004 Olympics. You're a bit of a mentor to him because he was a young guy back then, 19 mm. years of age. Uh, did you see the potential in him back then uh, when you ruined with him and had that experience at the 2004 Olympics? Yeah, and I'll just I'll touch on the other aspect first. So the, the fact that he contributed to the to the cause, he didn't contribute enough considering his income. Um, <laughs> And actually, Bevo and I went to went and met with that many sponsors to ensure yeah. that they were going to continue their support. Like yeah. we went, we met with everyone just to to appeal to them, but they were, and they were all great. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I've known um, Bogut since he was like 15, 14. Yeah. Um, so he grew up um, actually played for the same domestic club, okay. um, and he used to come and train with us and you know, in the school holidays. You know, he's like six foot seven, six foot eight at yeah. fifteen. Wow. Um, and uh, yeah, Anstey used to just go at him too, like <laughs> just to you know, because he was you know, was, you could tell he was going to be big and he was lanky. Yeah. He didn't have a whole lot of weight behind him then, obviously. But uh, yeah. um, so they used to put him in the post and just try and defend you know low post guys. And Anstey would just demolish him and elbow him in the face, and <laughs> you know, just and no prisoners. You know, if you're going to if you're going to compete on this stage, you better be ready, sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then just to see his involvement um, over time. You know, and then um, you know his college life. He'd, he'd come back throughout college and still train with us, and mm. um, you just see him and his improvement. And mm. uh, I remember seeing him as at AIS as well. You go, wow, this kid's pretty special. Mm. And, he, and he just kept growing. Um, and then you see him at uh, University of Utah, and he's just insane. He was so good. Mm. Uh, there's no, you know, even back. You look back now at the at the at the uh, draft. You know, considering who was in his draft class, you're probably still going to pick him, you know, top three. Mm-hmm. He had some injuries, but he's had a fantastic career. So, I mean, he was he was exceptional. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I, so I ran with him for about four years. So, uh, at, the, at the Olympics, but also, I think, two years prior when he first made the Boomers and um, two years after the, the World Champs. Mm-hmm. Um, so, we spent a lot of time together and, and obviously similar, similar, grew up in a similar environment in, in Melbourne. Mm-hmm. Um, and his family and and uh, uh, been around him for a while. So mm. yeah, he was great. He was he was awesome. He was um, really professional about the way he uh, approached the the game and the tournaments. And um, you know, deep thinker. Um, mm. you know, he's, there's a little bit more to him than than meets the eye. But um, mm. yeah, he's uh, he's had an exceptional career, and I was, I was you know incredibly blessed to to be part of or, or to contribute to a small part of that. And, yeah. You know, I think Gorge originally, when uh, when they were doing the room list, he goes, I'm going to put you with Bogues. Can you just make sure you look after him? And, you know, when he was first on the team, so, you know, I just showed him, you know, what the expectation was and mm. standards of, you know, being a boomer. And mm. he took to it, you know, pretty quickly and then started yeah. dominating. So, yeah. yeah it's amazing. So, Great experiences. Well, last question for you, mate. Um, could speak to you all day, but um, that 2004 Olympics just behind you, you've got a picture of... Uh, been dunked on you're blocking it at the moment but uh there's lebron yeah. a young lebron yeah. and um yeah you had the opportunity to go up against lebron a young lebron dwayne wade dwayne wade um camelo anthony i think was on that team as well alan offs and tim duncan on the experience that would have been but um in particular lebron and dwayne wade um 
no doubt saw the potential in him even in that game. Yeah, I mean, he's 18 when he dunked on me. Wow. Uh, really? Yeah, and he's, he's just a physical specimen. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's just insane. And you could just tell he had, you know, just all the equipment to, yeah. uh, to, to do whatever he needed to do. But, um, uh, you know, it was a skill that wasn't quite there. So he couldn't shoot, um, mm. you know, that, that well that, at, that, at that stage. Mm. And he was, still, he was still, like, you know, um, a piece of the puzzle instead of that dominating force. Mm. Um, whereas I, I think the hardest guy I've ever had to guard was um, uh, probably two was, was Alan Iverson. Mm. He's just, he just, I mean, he's about five foot ten. You don't, you don't realise how small he is. Oh, yeah. um, and uh, he's just so whippet like quick. Yeah. So quick, so zippy, mm. and I, you know, I thought it was, I was pretty quick for my size, and yeah. I just, I just, he was just, he could get anywhere he wanted on the court mm. at any time, and you couldn't stop him. Mm. Um, yeah, it was just amazing. And then the other guys, just Carmelo Anthony, mm. you know, he's, he's another two inches taller than LeBron, and and you know, with depth of range, and um, yeah, just unbelievable one-on-one skills. So mm. yeah, it was, yeah, the, the two guys that I look back and go, well, you know, they were they're pretty hard. Yeah, <laughs> no doubt. Actually, I've got a good story. Yeah, so, go for it. Um, Mark Worthington subs into the game at the World Championships in 06. Yeah, yeah. And I think he subbed out Glenn Savile. So I'm, I'm the two-guard and Werdo comes in at the three-guard spot. And so um, the two and three at the time for the US that we, who we were playing against was um, Carmelo and LeBron. Yeah. So Werdo subs in, he goes, uh, who do you want? Carmelo or, or LeBron? <laughs> I'm like, mate, I don't doesn't really matter, right? Like, you got <laughs> exactly. whoever, yeah, you got one of them, and we'll just switch if they yeah. come. You know, they're screaming at each other. But yeah. I just, I remember that going. Uh, good point. Uh, yeah. really <laughs> wow, what a predicament to be in. Pretty amazing mm. stuff. Well, mate, you had a great career. You've done a lot of great, um, yeah, great career in basketball, but a lot of great things off the court as well, mate. And a lot of respect for you. So, um, thank you for sharing those experiences with us today. And um, yeah, look forward to yeah, hopefully seeing you around soon, eh? No worries, man. Thanks, Dan. Good to connect, mate. Yeah.